0: We have been in this series for the last couple of weeks called Wide Open, and um, when I told people we were going to do this series called Wide Open, uh, you know, as we were planning it maybe back in July and stuff, we were like, oh, we're going to do this series called Wide Open. I had several people ask me the exact same question, which I thought was really weird when I told them this is what we're doing. Uh, people said to me, and I quote, are you going to do that Creed song? And I, and I just thought, who do you think I am? Like... No, I'm not doing that Creed song at A10 on a Sunday. And what's even weirder about that is um, we, uh, before we were going to do this series called Wide Open, we had planned to do a different series that we actually moved. We're not going to do it now. We're going to do it next year. And that series is actually called Creed. And then people would ask me, Are you going to do a creed song? And I'm like, I just don't understand why everybody wants me to do a creed song. No, we're not doing a creed song at our church. Um, Even though today's message is about having open arms, or arms wide open, as we might say. there will be no Creed songs here. It's, not, it's a thing. I have a, a, a policy. Um, a, a, you know. I'm like, how do you all get that? I mean, it's like, are we going to do a series called, if you give God a penny, he'll give you a nickel back. And then we can do a, those songs too. Like, no, we're not doing it guys. No. So uh, today, I want to talk about having open open arms, and, and we 're not going to sing. Um, you can sing that on your own time. Um, the series has been talking about the idea of being wide open as people. Um, can we be open to others with others within the church? can we can we be open about our stuff and we 've had different people sharing stories. Dominic just shared a little bit there, different people sharing their stories and and i 'm hearing really good things from what's going on in our church of different people getting real about their stuff and talking to one-on-one with people or people I've, I've talked to some folks say hey this is what I'm going through like it's 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 really cool to see people being open about where they're at but but not just that not just about being open with one another also being open about sharing our faith about seeing the people around us who aren't Part of the faith who, who who don't know Jesus who aren't in a relationship with God and seeing people and being open with them and being willing to open up and speak and so we've talked about basically being open having open eyes and seeing. The needs that are around you, having an open heart, actually caring about people who are far from God or, or people who need to know Jesus, caring about them, having an open heart there, having an open mind uh, to stay curious, to, to, to be open to n- new ideas and hearing someone's story and listening to people in a, in a non-judgmental way while still standing with our own convictions. And today I want to talk about the idea of having open arms, which is really to, to reach out, to not just know things or feel things, but to use our hands and feet to reach out and connect to people and, and, and serve people if they are in need. And to do that, I want to point us to a, a parable that Jesus told. And, if, and i got to be honest, the parable I want to read you today, it, it makes me a little uncomfortable, and it should make us uncomfortable. If the Jesus that you know and the idea of Jesus that you know is... Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And you have this idea that God loves you very much and you're special and you're loved by Jesus and he wants to throw his arms around you and, he, and, and you're his special child and that kind of thing. Um, I, I get why we believe that and I understand that. Um, so, because, but what happens is we end up thinking, well you know God loves me and i 'm good because i 'm his child, and we're just we 're good here and, and it 's all fine uh, if that 's what you believe about your relationship with jesus the the parable that i 'm going to read you now that Jesus tells in matthew twenty five is going to mess that up completely and upend it, and it almost looks like Jesus is giving us a different criteria or a different way of thinking about our relationship with him and thinking about, in a sense, what our relationship with him requires. So I'm going to read this. Um, it's, it's pretty famous, uh, as a lot of Jesus' parables, I suppose, are. Maybe you've heard this before, maybe not. It comes from Matthew chapter 25, um, and I will put it up on the screen. It starts this way. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Okay, when Jesus says the Son of Man, he's referring back to an Old Testament idea. He is referring to himself, the Son of Man. That's, that's how, that is a title that he gives, that he takes for himself. And he says, when I come, basically, in his glory, in my glory... The angels will be gathered around and I'll sit on uh, this glorious throne. This is a picture of the future, what the Christians call the second coming of Jesus. He was there the first time a couple thousand years ago. He will return to the earth one day. This is not science fiction. This is not a fantasy novel. This is a, a bedrock belief of the Christian faith that we believe as followers of Jesus that Jesus will one day return. And he's given us a little picture of what that will be. There will be angels there. Um, he will be in his glory. There will be something magnificent about him and he will be on this throne. It is going to be this powerful, incredible scene that will happen one day in history, we, we believe that to be true. And it's going to be amazing, uh, life changing, I- incredible for almost everybody, but not everybody's going to love it when, when Jesus returns. And he goes into that here um, in verse 32. Let's, let's continue on. Verse 32 he says this Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep. From the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. There's this idea, and this isn't the only time this shows up in the New Testament, but there's this idea that God will judge us eventually, ultimately. He will judge our lives, our behavior, our hearts, all of that. He will look into our souls. He will see who we are, and he will judge us. And, he, and in this case, he says, the, the king, he will, the God, in this, in this parable, he will judge us. He will, uh, and separate us, at putting sheep and goats. The, the, the Think of sheep and goats as like, uh, a way of saying like the insiders are the outsiders or the naughty or the nice or the, the the good people and the bad people or the people who love God and want to follow him and the people who just don't want to do any of that. The people who are right with God and the people who are not right with God. And he separates them, puts them on his right and left. Right and left has nothing to do with modern American political Uh, ideas, so just leave that out, that was not in their world. Um, So he just separates them out, sheep and goats, and says, okay, here's the good ones, basically, the sheep over here, and then the goats are the the bad ones. Um, Whatever else we get out of this, I I do think we should get this, this this parable that he's telling, this idea that God is judging and separating us, should disabuse us of the notion that God does not judge. God judges, and he judges uh, people in their core. He sees us. He knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows our innermost thoughts. um, And he will judge us one day, and we will stand before him in judgment. And that sounds to us really heavy, because we love loving Jesus. We love friendly Jesus. We love healing Jesus. We love cuddly Jesus. We love Jesus who teaches things and says the good things to people that people love to hear. We don't love the God who judges. We don't love the judging Jesus ever, ever so much. Um, but but I think that you actually want a God who judges. That it's actually an important thing. Think of it this way: it's not hard to look around the world and notice that there are People who do horribly evil evil things in, our, in the world, right? In our culture, around the world. Wars and atrocities and just really wicked stuff. And when I see horrible things that happen in the news and in places around the world and even in our, our own community, when I see horrible things happen, there's a part of me that wants there to be a, a, a God who judges them. Like, I can't solve it all. But I'd like to know that there is a God who sees all the evil and who will judge accordingly. I'm uncomfortable with the idea that there's wicked evil that goes on in the world and then those people just get away with it. No, I, I want to know that there's a God who sees it and then will put out his judgment that, to, to fit the crime, basically. That people aren't just getting away with it with whatever they do. So I actually think the idea that God judges people, judges humanity, um, is, is a good thing. It, it's, an, it's an important thing. Um, I take a, actually some sort of comfort in judgment. And, it, and in some sense, it frees me up. I don't have to judge everybody. I don't have to be judgmental. I don't have to make those calls of who's right and wrong and wicked and who's good. And I don't have to make those separations. That's not my role. That's above my pay grade. I can, I'm freed up to love people as best as I can. Um, but I don't have to judge because there is a God who does that. And I don't, not only do I not have to judge, I don't have to seek revenge because I, I believe that God is going to see what people have done. Even when people have done things to me, God will see those things and he will deal with this. So it's tricky. God judges. The question becomes on what basis does God judge? If God is going to separate them, how is he separating? Just by looks? Like just by some things that they did or didn't do? What is, what is the basis? If God is going to judge us one day, is he going to look at you and go, oh, you are nice and kind. You gave money away. You pray some. You go to church a little bit. Uh, you, you donated to that thing when they were passing around with the hat for m- money, you know, and every, everybody would like pass around and you venmo that money for those people at work. You're, you're basically a good, nice person. Is God going to judge you that way? Or is God going to judge you by what you don't do? Oh, well, I mean, you do a pretty good job of like not, you don't cuss very much. You're not all that gossipy, you know. Um, You're not mean to people generally. So you must be like a good person and God will judge you. Well, is, is this the criteria that God uses? Well, Jesus gives us a little bit of an indication of it. Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, What is the criteria that the king separates the sheep and the goats? The criteria is, what did you actually do? What action did you take? And, and what, what did the people do? Well, they saw people who were hungry and they gave them food. They saw people who were thirsty and they gave them a drink. They saw people who didn't have any clothing and they gave them something to wear. They welcomed people when they were outsiders or strangers. And they visited people who were in prison. This is what Jesus says. Now, the legalist in in every one of our hearts, the rule-keeping legalist, hears that and goes, okay, Jesus is just giving us different rules about how to play the game. So we thought the game with God is, if I'm a nice person generally, or if I'm loving, or if I have faith, or I believe in God and, and all that, that's it, game over, I've won the game. Jesus is giving us a different set of rules. He says, no, the way you play the game, the way you get in right with God, the way you are a good person is, uh, and we think it's a checklist. Well, I feed people, so I'll I'll work at the soup kitchen. Um, I clothe people who are needy. Okay, there's that coat drive that they do at the school. I'm gonna donate a coat, and then I've done that thing. Uh, I give someone something to drink, you know, I got these water bottles that I'll hand out randomly, you know, okay, I've done that. Prison ministry, I mean, if I have time, I guess I could go in and see someone in prison, welcome strangers. Maybe that has something to do with refugees or something like that. And so we sort of think that what Jesus is doing is giving us just a different checklist. And I think when we look at it that way, we miss the point. It's not a checklist. It is markers of a transformed life. If our lives are changed by God, that won't just change what we believe. If God doesn't work in your life, it's not just, okay, well, God's been working in my life. Now I believe things about God or I believe things about heaven or I believe things about what communion is or I believe what worship is or like these ideas, these different categories. It's not about that. Jesus says, no, a transformed life is going to take action. It's going to put some hands and feet on your beliefs, it's going to do something actually. And this is really challenging for us because we like to say things in our culture that we like to say things like, well, it's the thought that counts, right? It's the thought that counts. What actually matters here is that I cared about it or I thought about you or it or whatever. That was the thing. Or we say things like, um, you know, all you need is love. And, and kindness is everything. And those are fine ideas. But they, they actually come up short. If you love someone but you don't do anything for them, isn't that actually a problem? Like if I profess, oh, I love my wife but I never do anything for her, this is a problem. She would rightly say to me or you might say to me, you say you love your wife but you don't do anything. Chris, your talk is cheap. It's easy to say you believe these things. Our beliefs have to translate into action, and our beliefs should motivate action. See, there's two extremes in the, in, I would say, in the Christian world, but maybe in our, in our belief system, there's two extremes. On the one extreme, we say, really what matters with God is I just believe all the right things, and I have faith, and I trust him. And man, trust is a big deal in the scripture, and faith shows up a lot, and we talk about it here a lot. So it is important. But people get, their, get it in their heads that all that matters is I mentally agree or something goes on in my heart that I believe these certain propositions, these sets of things. If I will believe these things and I, that, that effectively I'm checking those boxes and once I believe and my heart's right and all that, then I'm good with God. And that's, that's maybe like one gutter we can fall into is only belief and no action and on the other side, we look at scriptures like this and we go, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe. You need to go do something. You need to take action. And so you will see ministries around the world that do things very tangibly for people. They, they you know, do water wells or they, they run medical clinics or soup kitchens and all these things. And those are great things and they do great things. But often what happens is they do those things, but never actually get to the heart, never actually dig into the soul, never actually dig into the connection with God. They just meet physical needs. Again, meeting physical needs is great, but let's avoid both of those extremes and both of those gutters and say our faith is only what we believe and what we feel and, and this warm, fuzzy thing we feel with God. Or avoid the extreme of saying our, 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 our faith really is about only doing things. It doesn't matter what we believe. We need to just go do the right things. And a lot of people in, in our culture believe that. Let's shoot for something down the middle and say, no, what matters is faith that takes action, faith and works, if you're going to use the, the, the New Testament way of saying it. The Apostle Paul threads that needle pretty well um, and talks about it in, in uh, the, the balance of that, about our, how our faith has to actually show up with action in Romans chapter 2. He says it this way, talking about God, and it says uh, about God's judgment. Listen to what he says. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. He's talking about an attitude of the heart that actually shows up in action. There are those, Paul says, that are going to. Seek the glory of God and honor him and, and seek after him and God will reward them. And then there are those who are going to seek themselves, who are going to be about themselves, who are, who are going to serve themselves and God will judge them as well. And he will judge them not by just what you profess to believe but, by, but, why, but what you actually do because talk is cheap. It's easy to sing a worship song and not mean it. It's easy to sing it and mean it over and over, but not ever actually do anything. I mean, have you considered the lyrics of the songs that we sing? Some of them are very challenging about surrendering our whole lives to God. It's easy to sing that and then never do it. It's easy to say a prayer or to follow along with a prayer, pray in our our hearts or our minds, and it's not that we shouldn't sing, it's not that we shouldn't pray, we should do those things, but we also should roll up our sleeves and get to work. This is where the rubber hits the road. To frame it in the language of this whole series, I, I guess I would say it this way, we are called to have wide open arms. Not just to think something, not just to feel something, not just to see something, but to actually embrace and reach out and serve and love and help and and take action with our hands, to use our feet to take us places that God is is leading us. We need to have open arms to serve and embrace. Um, And I think there are really two reasons we need to take action and have those open arms. Number one is, um, if you believe that God is real and he makes a difference in your life, then you need to share that with other people. If God has changed you, tell someone. I mean, we do that with other things. Do you remember when Apple products became the thing? People were evangelistic about Apple products. Oh, this has changed my life. This keyboard is so much better. Look, it's a touch screen, you know? Put away your Blackberry. My apple has replaced your, my fruit replaces your fruit. It's better, you know, or whatever. Like, We are evangelistic about things that we believe in. Why wouldn't we share our faith also? If God is real to you, share it. Speak up about it. Take action. Serve other people. But the second piece of that is if if God is real, then there is judgment coming. That God will separate the sheep and the goats. And don't you want to warn people about that? Like, shouldn't you let them know? Like, hey, God is going to judge the world. Let's, let's get right with God and, and be in relationship with Him. About 10 years ago, um, are you familiar with Penn and Teller, the, the magician comedians, I guess, whatever? Penn Gillette is, um, if you've ever seen his videos on YouTube, he's atheist and maybe like aggressively so, I would say. Um, and and if you've ever seen like his shows um they're comedy uh, it's like magician but comedy stuff too and and they're pretty he can be very sort of foul mouth the other guy doesn't say anything so he's the one who does all the talking and um and he can be pretty foul mouth and, and aggressive and um about 10 years ago he put this video up and I I saw it and I I I was going to show the whole thing to you but it's a little too long it's about 5 minutes long w- watch it if you if you search Penn Jillette, Gift of a Bible, a guy came up to him after a show and gave him a Bible and said, "I want you to have this." And so here's this magician, comedian guy responding to uh, this guy. Oh, he gave me a Bible, and and I want you to. I'm just going to play a little clip of it. It's uncomfortably close to his face on the camera, so there is that. But I want you to notice what he says about the guy who shared the Bible with him and and also what he says about people who speak up about their faith and why they would speak up about their faith. So just watch this clip.
1: And he looked me right in the eyes and he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch.
0: When I saw that, I thought, "Wow, this guy's an atheist." And he gets it better than most Christians I, I know. He, he basically says, man, if you believe this, if, if heaven and hell and judgment and if these things are real, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them? Like, wouldn't you speak up about it? And, and I'm, I'm guessing he doesn't want a bunch of people to speak up to him about it because as far as I know, he's still an atheist. And it, like, it hasn't landed yet for him. But I also appreciate what he said about the guy being... Sane, which is nice to hear about Christians in the public sphere. Sometimes that's nice, um, but you know, kind and 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 thoughtful and and caring and, and all that. And I just thought, man, that that's that's it. We have to speak up, yeah. But we have to take action. We have to do something. Have open arms to serve. This is because this is how we're going to love people. We're not just going to say we love people. We're going to actually. Um, do something about it, and, and, and in that case, give, give them a Bible, or, or, or do what we can to, to build a bridge. Um, now, it's easy to get overwhelmed, because when, when the king says in the parable, you know, you visit me in prison, and you, you gave me food, and there's like, there's so many needs out there, and, and we, can, we can be overwhelmed by that, right? Well, listen to how that parable goes next in verse 37. Uh, He says this, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus, when did we ever do that stuff? When, when did I ever serve you? I don't remember seeing you and giving you a drink or you weren't in prison. When, when, when? And he says, whenever you've done that to one of the least of these. And that's good to hear because if you think about the prison population, it's a lot of people. If you think about the kids in the foster care system or kids that need to be adopted, it's a lot of kids. If you think about, uh, you know, food insecurity and the amount of people who don't have access to good food. If you think about places in the world that don't have access to to clean water, like the numbers are huge and overwhelming. Overwhelming to the point that you won't want to do anything. And Jesus doesn't say you've got to go solve all those things. You've got to slay all those dragons. What he says is do this for one And I don't think he's moving the goalposts. I don't think he's giving us new criteria. Just score one goal and I'll be happy. That's all I need. Can you just help one person one time in your life ever? Because then we would look at that and we would go, I helped one person one time ever. I'm good. I don't think that's the point. I think the point is start where you are. Start locally. Start with who you know and serve them. Who has God placed in your life that you can reach out to and serve and help them know the love of God? Who could you actively serve? This is where it starts. Now what could that look like? It could look like you help a coworker with a project that's like killing them. And you're like, man, I see him struggling over there. Let me just help them. And then you encourage them all along the way. It could look like if you're in school, you see that one kid who is struggling to make friends and you sit with them and you, and you try to walk with them and say, hey, let me, let me be let me be your friend. It could look like in your family you serve your family by cleaning up the mess. You you be the one to clean up the dishes. It looks like you see a friend who's going through some stuff and you say, "Hey, can I just take you out for coffee and can we meet up and and talk?" It could look like in the church you see someone in your small group who's hurting and you and you invite them out or you say, "Hey, let's let's meet. I want to pray with you. I want to I just want to walk with you because you're carrying a heavy burden and I want to help carry that with you." And you you notice that in your small group and you reach out. It could look like someone in the church that you know is struggling financially, and you come together with several people, and you go, hey, let's all come together and support this person financially to get them through this challenge. I have experienced that in this church, If people have done that for me. I have seen people in this church do that for other people over the years, where they sort sort of pass the hat, you know, and say, hey, this person needs some help with this thing. Let's all help them, and it can be pretty powerful. These are ways you can take action with your faith and actually serve and help people who are in need. It could look like you serve or get involved here at the church, serving within the community. You, you work with A10 kids because you want to help kids know about Jesus. You want to share your faith with some kids. It, don't assume that every kid that walks into our children's ministry knows about God and is learning about it all the time at home or whatever. You go, okay, I want to help that process. I want to come alongside families as they raise their kids to know the Lord. Maybe you do that. You just go, little kids aren't my thing. Teenagers, let me work with them. I remember being a teenager. It was hard. I want to walk with them and, and tell them about God too. And maybe you volunteer there. Maybe you get uh, plug in and volunteer. We're going to do um, a, a foster parents night out for the city of Richmond in November. And we're going to invite foster parents to, to drop kids off at 2810 and we're going to plan a night. And we need lots of volunteers for that. We need a lot of people to show up and say, hey, I'm going to work with kids and I'm going to be their buddy for the night. We're going to play games. We're going to do some fun stuff, crafts and all sorts of things. We're going to do some fun stuff with kids. Uh, on that on that Friday, I think it's Friday night, November 18th, we're going to do that. You'll hear more about that coming up. But maybe you go, well, that's a way I could make a difference for one of the least of these, my brothers. I could, I could help in, in, that, in that way too. Maybe uh, f- for you, the way to put action to your faith is to help with refugee care. You hear about refugees coming in from um, Afghanistan and other places and, and we're recruiting some people to kind of come around, some families that move here. All of these are ways that we can take action and any of those might be the next right step for you. But let me give you one more. Dominic on the video mentioned the idea of hospitality. Um, and that's an idea that shows up in the scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The word hospitality in Greek is phyloxenia. Philo meaning love, like Philadelphia, brotherly love, right? Philo love, xenia, strange, means strangers. So you've heard the opposite of that, xenophobia, which is a, a word that we use that means fear of strangers, right? Philozenia is hospitality. It is being loving or taking loving action towards strangers. It means having open, har- open arms, and it also means having open homes. Leverage what you have been given by the Lord, where you live, your space, um, maybe if you have time, Leverage those things in order to reach other people. You know, sometimes I think we overcomplicate this stuff. We sort of go like, um, man, I would serve other people. I would reach out to other people. But for Christians, what we always fall back on is we go like, but I'm not perfect. And I don't have the right words. And I don't want to share my faith because I'll feel like a hypocrite. And, 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 and I don't have my act together and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. As if Christianity ever required all of us to have our act together for it to, to grow and spread. Like if, if, if God is waiting on you to be perfect before you ever speak up or serve someone else, you're just never going to do it. Like it's never going to happen. And so what if you just started where you are to show hospitality? Maybe to a neighbor. Maybe the simple move is let me just invite somebody over for dinner. I, I, I think even that, just inviting someone over, I, I feel like that is a is something that's like dying out in our world. We're becoming hermits who watch Netflix and and get DoorDash. We're not, you know, the people who are like cooking meals and inviting people over. And honestly, I mean I like some Netflix. I'm I, I like delivery sometimes. But the truth is it, none of that is as good as a good meal with people at your house, like good conversation. Like that just feels like the real stuff of life. What if we led the way and did more of that? Rosaria Butterfield is an um, author, I think she's down in North Carolina, and she, uh, she writes a lot about hospitality and, and how it radically transformed her life. And let me read you this quote from her. She says, Let God use your home, apartment, dorm room, front yard, community gymnasium, or garden for the purpose of making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family, because that is the point building the church and living like a family, the family of God. I love the vision of that. We are disciples of Jesus. And what disciples of Jesus are supposed to do is make more disciples is to pour ourselves out for other people and into other people. And, and, and that starts by us being disciple, we disciple others. And, and maybe that starts by you, you open your home and you, you know, help strangers become neighbors and neighbors become family and, and invite them to be part of the community. Can, can you do that? Can you do that step? One more quote from her. She says this, radically ordinary and daily hospitality is the basic building block for vital Christian living. Start anywhere, but do start. And I think that's the challenge for us. To reach out with open arms. Inside the church, to people that you see that are hurting and are in need. And also outside the church, because we are surrounded with people who, who need to know the love of God. Um, show hospitality to them. Start anywhere, but do start. Let's pray. Lord, the reason so many of us are in this room today, the reason so many of us know you or have any faith in you or in any relationship with you, a big part of that is that someone in our past showed hospitality towards us. Someone reached out to us and took action. Someone didn't just care about us in their hearts or in their mind, but they cared about us and they spoke to us and they, um, they took action. They invited us in. They invited us to be part of something. God, I'm thank you, thankful for all those people you've placed in our lives that have helped us to be where we are today. God, it is our turn to share that, to reach out to others, to be that someone for someone else. This is your plan of reconciliation in the world, that you will work through us, that you will multiply our efforts, that you will do something great. God, I ask you to do that again in us and through us. Help us to be aware, to be op- have open eyes and open hearts and minds. And then open arms to serve. Um, Pray we do that in our communities, with our neighbors, with our friends, at school, at work. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.